The following study is a Wednesday night lesson given by Pastor Brett Metter at Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. Well, why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. A friend of mine was telling me years ago about his father's favorite verse in the Bible. And his father was not a believer in God or a follower of the Lord, but um, his favorite verse was Ecclesiastes 10.19. We kind of finished up last week with that one, and it says, A feast is made for laughter, wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. (laughs) And uh, he thought that was a funny thing because, you know, the Bible says money is the answer for everything. But not knowing, not understanding that that's just the wrongness of Solomon's worldview at the time. Remember, as we've been studying, that Solomon has been disconnected from God, and so he has discontentment with life, and he was trying all those things, and found everything empty. And again, Ecclesiastes is not the book you go to for solid doctrine, because he was just in a place of wrongness, and that's the point of the book. Um, as we look at this book and see the state of mind. And it's tricky because he says some things that are wise and true. And he says some things that are uh, controversial and not true. And it has to do with being disconnected from God. And disconnected from God means that you're going to be discontented with life. And that's been kind of our theme as we've been studying Ecclesiastes. Um, So in the previous chapters, he's tried it all. Wine, women, and song. You know, he's tried it all. He's tried wealth and power and, um, you know, even science and philosophy and all this stuff. But in this next chapter, in chapter 11, he's going to try becoming a do-gooder. Maybe it's about being a do-gooder. If I can just do good things, then maybe I'll find meaning there. And what's interesting about this one is you can be a do-gooder, but that's not going to be the answer. Because even your best works, according to the Bible, are like filthy rags. And we think that we're somehow going to do something that's going to satisfy our soul or save us uh, from hell, but good deeds don't do that. You're saved by grace through faith, not of your works, the Bible says in Ephesians uh, 2.8. And so uh, works are a good thing. James even says, faith without works is dead. So the person who is saved will have good works. So good works are good as long as you know their place and what they do. But if you think that good works are going to save you from hell, man, that's, that's one of the biggest errors in humanity, thinking that hopefully your good outweighs your bad. That's a really wrong way of thinking. But Solomon in his disconnected state, he thinks, well, let's try good stuff, good deeds. And so that's where we pick it up right here in chapter 11, verse 1. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. So there's different views on what this actually means. Um, What in the world does it mean to cast your bread upon the water? Some of you are like, oh, oh, how sweet, they're feeding the ducks. (laughs) You know, the Tualatin Lake there, and they're pointing bread out to the birds. Oh, that's so sweet. He is a do-gooder. Probably not meaning uh, bread bread feeding of the ducks. Um, Some would say the idea is casting your bread on the waters means bread in in Bible times was kind of the base element of substance. It's like when Jesus taught us to pray in the, you know, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Bread speaks of provision. And so some scholars argue that this means, amen, just cast your bread out. Uh, Don't be so stingy with your stuff but cast it out on the waters. And by the way, the waters in the Bible is a type in some passages of the nations of the world or the sea, uh, the nations of the world, people. So some would say it's casting your bread upon the waters. Others say, no, 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 it's, it's farm, harvest your grain and your bread, and then load it up, haul it to the dock and have it shipped out uh, and, and be, be fruitful and productive and, and uh, you know, a businessman and make money. Um, And some say that's what this is talking about. But I don't believe that because of the context. The context is about giving here. That's that's the bottom line. That's what we have to understand. When you read this chapter, it really is about giving. And so it's, I believe it it means to sort of give of your substance sort of recklessly, uh, cast it out. And then he's going to tell us why in the following verses and what have you. And so this idea of giving, he begins there uh, after that kind of 
mysterious statement in verse 1. Then he says in verse 2, Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Um, He's saying, you know, give to more than just one person, but give as much as you can, seven or eight people. Uh, It's it's like it's an investment. You don't know what's going to come back to you. You don't know how things are going to pan out in the long run. Paderewski, that famous pianist, many years ago, two young men were working um, their way through Stanford University, and at one point their money was almost gone, so they decided to uh, try sort of a venture to get some money. So they, they hired who was then an emerging pianist, not super famous yet, but a guy by the name of Paderewski, for a concert there at the campus, and they would use the profits of the concert for their tuition. Uh, that was their plan. Um, Paderewski's manager uh, asked for a guarantee of $1,000 to play at that gig. And the students worked hard, promoted, put posters all over the town and what have you. But um, they came up $400 short uh, of what they had to earn. So after the performance, they went to Paderewski and, and gave him all the money that they'd raised. Um, but but um, and, and even the money that they would have for their own tuition they had to kind of give them all, all that they had. And, uh, and, and it, feels, it appeared their college days were over, really. Uh, they didn't have enough money. But Paderewski saw what was going on, and so he said, tell you what, don't, this won't do. He said, take, this, take out uh, of this $1,600 all your expenses, keep for you each 10% of what the balance is for the work that you've done, and let me have the rest. rest. So he just kind of blessed the guys. Um, Years passed, many, many years later, and it's an interesting story where Paderewski eventually became the um, premier of Poland following World War I, uh, political leader of the, of the nation. Thousands of his countrymen were starving, um, and uh, there was real trouble. People were in real trouble there in Poland after World War I. But the head of the U.S. Food and Relief Bureau um, actually shipped thousands and thousands of tons of food uh, to his country to rescue them from their starvation. Later, he met the American statesman to thank him. Um, That's all right, replied Herbert Hoover. Besides, you don't remember, but you helped me once when I was a student in college. Um, The idea of, uh, you know, helping someone, you never know how it's going to come back and bless your socks off. Uh, that's, that's according to that story. Proverbs chapter 11, interestingly enough, 11.25, it says, um, the liberal soul shall be made fat. Oh, you po- political people are like, oh, that's a great verse. The liberal soul shall be made fat. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. The idea there, we're not talking politics, we're talking about liberal, that is in giving, being a big-hearted giver. And it says the liberal person will be made fat or full. You know, he will lack for nothing if, if you're a giving person. And also he that watereth him shall be watered also himself. This is a principle of the Bible. That was in Proverbs, by the way. And that, that one came from uh, the book of Proverbs where Solomon wrote some amazing and powerful truths. But the idea is giving your bread out liberally and, and don't just do it once or seven times, but eight times. The idea is not seven or eight, literally, but to be liberal with many people and look for opportunities to give. And one of the things I've noticed is a lot of times we sit around and wait till we're ready to do certain things. Well, I'll give to people when I have enough money myself. And the problem is how much is enough? Um, it's like that young couple that would come once in a while and talk to me, Pastor Brett, we're we're um, engaged and we'll probably be married one day, but we're going to wait till our finances, you know, really come together and, and then we'll, you know, pull the trigger on marriage. It'll be great. How long have you been dating? Uh, 18 years. Uh, here's the problem. You see, <laughs> the problem with that is finances are completely unstable. If you're waiting for your finances to be stable, you'll never get married. Good luck with that one. Um, you know, I bet Bill Gates doesn't feel financially stable in a lot of ways. It's, it's a weird phenomenon about the way, the way money works. And sometimes you just got to move. You got to get up and move and do. And uh, the Lord will bless and he'll fill in the rest. And that's kind of the idea here. Give the portion. Uh, you never know how it's going to come back to you and how the Lord will use that. 
And so the idea of giving is what he's, he's getting at here. He says um, in verse 3, If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Man, you don't need to tell us that. Uh, Portlanders, man. We're, uh, do you guys feel like it's been a little, little bit wet and gray lately? Whew. Man, just don't stop raining. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, we sit around. Did you know that the Weather Channel is still one of the most watched channels on cable TV? People just sit around and watch, you know, the Weather Channel. Um, that, that's interesting, especially as it relates to this verse. It says, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if, a, if the tree falls toward the south or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. <laughs> hmm. Brett, the Bible's full of great wisdom here on this one. <laughs> Solomon's a smart feller. Um, but the next verse kind of explains what he's getting at. It, it's meant to be ridiculous. Verse 4. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. He's talking about the dude that just sits around and watches the weather channel and does nothing. He's watching the wind come and the rains and the tree fall. Well, where'd the tree fall? Where it fell. Like there's no, there's nothing to it. Like you're, you're sitting around watching stuff. I wonder how many people are just the kind of people that just sit around and watch while there's other people that are the ones getting up and, and doing things, especially as it relates to serving the Lord and, and um, doing stuff for, for the kingdom of God, serving, serving the Lord. You know, um, I worry sometimes how easy it is in our culture to be so self-centered and be only thinking about what our thing is and, you know, what, what we have invested in, our money and our resources and all that stuff and, and, uh, and how am I doing and, and all that stuff. But the Bible says we're to prefer others over ourselves. Um, over and over, the Bible says we're to give to the poor. Um, how are you doing on that? When was the last time you personally gave to the poor? Well, Lord, Lord knows I, I, I give of my tithe and offering to the church, and I know that the church gives money to Africa and Vanuatu and helps the homeless, and so I'm doing that through the church. I don't believe that's what the Lord is talking about. It has to come from your heart and your hand, I believe, um, to really be expressed personally. Um, and, and some people are just sitting around doing, I think that's true across the boards as far as ministry. The amount of, per, the percentage of people that are actually doing the heavy lifting. It reminds me of a little bit of 1 Samuel chapter 14. Would you keep your finger here and go with me to 1 Samuel 14? I want to show you one of my favorite stories. And I, I'd like to, you to know, look at the characters in this story and ask yourself, which one of these people are you in the story? It's 1 Samuel chapter 14. And there it says in 1 Samuel 14, verse 1, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost parts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And there, uh, the people that were there with them were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of a hot tub, um, oh, sorry, <laughs> son of a high tub, Ichabod's brother, <laughs> the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. Okay, so, so far you got Saul sitting under a pomegranate tree with 600 soldiers, just chilling. You got um, these other guys that were, you know, priests and what have you. They're wearing their religious garb. But there in verse 4, it says, And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side, a sharp rock on the other side, and he named the place one Bozes, and the other he named Senna, or Thorny. One side is enlightening, and one side is thorny. Interesting. Uh, verse 5, the forefront of the one was situate northward toward Michmash over against the so uh, southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thy heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. 
Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over these men and we'll discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. So a little test if the Lord is in it. I would have done the reverse thing. If they said, hey, you wait right there, we're coming down to kill you, I'd say, okay, I'll wait. Um, But he said, no, if they say, come up, then we'll climb up the cliff and then fight the Philistines. That sounds exhausting, just climbing up the cliff. I'd get up to the top and say, okay, hold on, guys. Okay, all right, right. now we can fight. Um, But but, uh, that's not Jonathan's way, I guess. So, verse 11, the both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. I wonder how they did that. Jumped out of the rocks. Like, what did they do? I don't know, like made, made funny faces or yelled at them. I don't know. But uh, I'll probably check that out when we get to heaven, what happened there exactly. So they discovered themselves, the Philistines, and the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they've hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and the armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land, which the yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling the host in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. Man, can you imagine that scene? So who are you in the story? Um, I wonder if there's some of you that are Jonathan's. Man, let's just see if the Lord's in this thing. You know, I, I love this because I know some of you in this room, and you guys have stepped out in ventures of faith. You've attempted great things you know, for the Lord and, and just to see, Lord, are you in this? And I know some of you even tried stuff and failed, but you just kept trying stuff. And eventually the Lord gave you real victory. And there's a few Jonathans that are around. You know, another one that I love in the story is the armor bearer. I mean, think about how crazy that it'd be. You wake up in the middle of the night and your, your boss is like, hey, you and I, let's go take on a whole army of Philistines. You want to do what? Uh, but he was willing. He said, man, I'm, I'm with you. I love the armor bearer. And what did he do? Jonathan did the, the main killing, if you, if you know what I mean. And, and, um, and then the armor bearer went up after him and kind of did the finishing off of the guys is the idea. And he got to be a part of something great because he was an armor bearer. How the, the church of Jesus Christ needs more armor bearers. Um, man, I'm so thankful for the armor bearers we have in this fellowship because some of you are not necessarily built by the Lord to be the Jonathan but man, you need to have the armor bearers, the, the, the people that are willing to stand with you and uh, do battle with you. And, and man, that's so valuable. Um, praise the Lord for the armor bearers in the story. Then there's others. I hope you, none of you are Saul. Who was Saul? Well, he was a head taller than everybody else. He was the king. He should have been doing something, but he was doing nothing. He was just snoozing under a pomegranate tree, um, doing nothing. He even had a whole army at his disposal But instead of going out and doing something, he just sat around sleeping under a uh, pomegranate tree. And and then there was the 600, almost worse still than King Saul. The 600 just following a guy who was doing nothing, sitting around under a pomegranate tree. 600 people just chilling, doing nothing. And, and, And man, God forbid that any of us be those people just sitting around watching the trees fall down and the rain come out of the clouds. Um, man, but the, the, the idea is to get out and do what the Lord's called you to do, to step out in ventures of faith. The Lord says, man, I'll go with you. Um, be thou strong and of good courage. You know, the, 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 the idea of just trusting that the Lord is going to go before you in those ventures of faith. And, and a lot of people, are, I think we, we get used to the idea of the church being the ministry, and then I just come and attend the church. Uh, and then, then some people say, hey, Pastor Brett, I need to start up a Bible study. We need you to announce it on Wednesday night or sanctioned activity of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. But that's not really the way we roll. At Athey Creek, we want you to step out in ventures of faith. But man, you don't need our permission. Um, I, I hope that every one of you are stepping out in various forms of faith, trusting that the Lord can do certain things and even being willing to risk making messes. Remember what it said there in Proverbs 14? What is it? Uh, you know, the, 
the empty um, you know crib or, or ox pen is clean, but um, but much increase is of, made of the ox. The idea is where there's no ox, there's no, there's no cow pies, and you have this beautifully clean uh, pen. Yay! But the pen that's empty doesn't bring any money to the farmer. The, the, the money comes from an ox that's willing to do the work and plow the... And, and so there's going there's to be messes. There's going to be cow pies. With oxen come big cow pies. Um, and that's the thing. Some of us want to have a nice, clean little life, and we do nothing, and we try nothing. And so by the end of our lives, we've really accomplished very little, if anything. I think that's kind of what Solomon's talking about here. And there is a truth to what he's saying. Some people just sit around and say, well, let's watch the rain fall today. Or what, what happens when that tree falls down? Well, it falls, and there it sits. That's what the Bible's telling us here. And, and that's just a challenge to some of you. I wonder if some of you, the Lord would stir you up and have you step out and maybe find someone you can minister to. And man, well, what should we do? That's where you have to seek the Lord. Maybe you have a friend who's a drunk and you need to have them come and you watch them and have them come live with you for a while and you help them break free of their alcoholic tendencies and 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 there's nothing but work there for with that kind of a thing maybe the lord has called you to do that maybe some of you are, are literally called to go and look for ways you can help the homeless here in portland so many people complain about the homeless but what is what is what, what's actually what is the church actually doing about the homeless um, I think there's things that we can do. I love to hear some of the stories of some of you guys taking, you know, uh, young kids that don't have any parents and trying to help, you know, disciple them and, and be like a big brother or sister to them and spiritually discipling, mentoring. Man, that's so cool. We've got a bunch of you doing that here at Athey Creek. And some of you are leading home groups and others of you are teaching Sunday school and some of you are doing missionary work. Uh, you know, like there's so many things we can talk about. Bible studies, discipleship. Man, that's all stuff that you should be doing, perhaps. Now, if you're a brand new Christian, and you're just trying to figure out, um, does God exist? Maybe that's not really, maybe you should get, be given to really heavy Bible study and growing and learning. Maybe you're the one that needs to be discipled. Maybe you're the one that should step out and say, man, um, would you disciple me? Uh, find somebody in the church. Don't come to me. I get asked that a hundred times every day. Uh, like, Brett, would you disciple me? No, can't, not enough time to do that. Uh, I, I'm, we're doing some of that right now, I suppose, Wednesday night Bible study. But uh, man, there's tons of great men and women in this congregation that I would say, man, I wish I could sit down and hear what they are learning and, and studying from the scriptures. So being willing to step out in a venture of faith, man, that, that's kind of what I think is important. Now, Solomon, he's going to say, even, even this is all vanity, but apart from God, doing good deeds is emptiness. But with God, serving the Lord, that's where this stuff is actually good and brings about good fruit. So back to Ecclesiastes 11. It says there in, uh, in verse 5, it says, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, literally probably translated wind there. You don't know where the wind's going to blow, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Even so, thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. You know, you really don't know um, how things really happen or what's really going on. He's saying, you know, we don't really have a clue. In the morning, verse 6, sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thy hand. For thou knowest not whether, uh, whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. King James language, a little tricky here. Basically, just keep sowing because you'll reap. And maybe some of the seed that you sowed in the morning will bring fruit, or maybe some of the seed you sowed in the night will bring fruit. We don't know, but just sow. Sow some seed, morning or evening. But be busy doing something because you don't know what's going to happen. I think that's true. Um, I found that out experientially in my own life. You know, um, over the years, I've, I've done Bible studies and stuff since I was a kid. I, I led Bible studies when I was 12 years old. And um, some of my Bible studies were successful, and some of my Bible studies were a total flop. I remember uh, when I was um, um, doing youth ministry, and I wanted to do a high school thing. Um, and it's so funny, because who knows what's going to be good and what's going to be not good. But I remember trying various forms of Bible studies with high school kids, and nobody ever showed up. 
But for some reason, there was this one particular time where the Lord just kind of put on my heart to start a Bible study in, in the downtown area of Medford. There was this little coffee shop sort of under the freeway bridge there. And, and, um, and I, I had kind of a connection with the person who owned the coffee shop. And so I, I said, man, um, you know, can we start a, a Bible study here at 6 a.m.? It's just going to be some few high school kids. And I was going to teach through the book of Daniel. And I announced it to the high school kids at church, and I thought maybe one or two kids will show up. And I was kind of expecting failure, like some of my other Bible studies. That's what I love about the Lord. It, it doesn't really require much faith, because <laughs> I didn't have much faith. Uh, I thought, well, maybe a kid will show up. Hopefully somebody with a pulse will show up. Um, and the very first week, we had like 20 kids. The next week, we had like 40 kids. The next week, the place was jam-packed from wall-to-wall kids. And uh, and we were doing this Bible study. Who, who would have, I, I had no idea why that, even to this day, I don't know why suddenly we taught through, you know, the 12 weeks of, of uh, teaching through the book of the 12 chapters of Daniel. And the Lord just blessed it. Who can figure that out? Um, and, you know, it's a little nerve wracking when you've done a bunch of trial and error, things like that. Because I remember uh, moving to Portland saying, hey, let's, you know, Deb and I prayed about it. We thought, let's, let's start a fellowship. Let's start a church in Portland, Oregon. Didn't know anybody up here until we met just one, two couples and eventually started things um, after we knew, met some of these new friends in Portland and we started a, a Bible study and then ultimately church. Who would have known whether it would work or not? We didn't have any idea. But by the grace of God, he's blessed that. And, and I wonder how many of us are missing out on some of the blessing God wants to pour out to you and through you in ministry but you're not willing to sow or, or step out of that comfort zone of just the life that you're holding. Just something to think about, something to pray about. Lord, are there things I should be doing, ventures of faith that I should be stepping out in? Um, so sow in the morning, sow in the evening, because you don't know when, when you're going to prosper. Well, now he's going to talk about life and death, and he's going to use the idioms of light and dark. Light represents life, dark represents death. It says in verse 7, Truly the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. He's basically saying it's a blessing to be alive. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Basically, you know, your dark days are there too, but ultimately you're going to end up in death. Um, so be happy about that. Uh, it's, it's sort of a, a, another depressing statement from Solomon. And then he's going to talk about youth. He says in verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. and Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. Now pause for a second. This is, uh, you know, some of the young people are like, yeah, this is a great verse. Young people, what are they supposed to do? Man, let their heart cheer up because you're young. Man, I'm young. And, and then, and we want to say, just like the millennial mantra, and walk in the ways of thine heart. Fulfill your dreams. Do what you want. But there's a but here in this sentence. It says, do all that you want in the sight of your eyes, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. Ooh, man, bummer. He sounds like a little bit of an old geezer here, if you ask me. Remember what Mark Twain, he said? Mark Twain said, why is youth wasted on the young? <laughs> and you have to be an old person to understand that. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing. And, and um, he's actually going to talk about, you know, uh, old age in the next chapter. Um, but the idea is, you know, he, he seems to th sort of think that, you know, you can live your dreams and, as a young person, but eventually um, you have to be careful because your young deeds are going to come back and get you because God is a judge. And we talked about God and his judgment on Sunday. Uh, and, and sometimes that judgment can be painful. Uh, so be careful, young people, is what he's saying. Uh, and you can do all that stuff, but remember, God will bring in thee into judgment. So uh, watch out for that. Now he says, youth and childhood are vanity, and that's him being disconnected from God. But I love that, um, that the Bible actually teaches opposite of that. The opposite. This is where Ecclesiastes, you have to be careful. He's wrong about this. Man, the Lord um, used young people throughout the Bible. 
You know, many of you have images in your mind of the 12 disciples of Jesus as being these old, gray-headed, bearded men, you know, walking around in wisdom with Jesus around, you know, Galilee and Jerusalem and, and stuff like that. But most scholars believe that Peter, James, and John, Peter was probably the oldest of the disciples. And most of the disciples were probably still in their teens when Jesus called them into ministry. Um, You know, Timothy was a young, young man. And Paul had to say, Timothy, don't despise your youth, but be an example of the believer. Like, Like, you know, people might think you're too young for ministry, but don't be bummed about that. Just be an example of a solid believer as a young man. It's amazing that Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30. So this idea of having to be old before you can be used, I I feel like churches do themselves a disservice when they wait too long to to sign up younger elders and younger worship leaders and younger, you know, women's ministry people. And we we wait for just old age uh, because of the church. And a lot of times the church becomes a very old, outdated, and and sadly, um, the young people are just not there. So I, I do pray for that often, that the Lord will raise up more and more young people at Athey Creek to come on leadership and, to, and start doing the work of the ministry and, and uh, see what God might do through our younger congregation. Because we've got some gifted, talented young people. And um, don't waste your youth. Uh, you know, the problem with being old, well, that's chapter 12. Let's take a look at the problems of getting old. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, He says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor thy years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon is getting older here. He's an old man, and he's basically being the pessimist. And it's it's like, have you ever heard the... um, the older people trying to give advice to the younger man, you better enjoy these years while you're in high school. They're the best years of your life. I always worry about that because um, when I was in high school, I remember thinking, this is horrible. And then those old people would say, yeah, but they're the best years of their life. And be like, oh man, life is going to be horrible. (laughs) If that's true. Um, I think we older people sometimes forget the good old days weren't that really good old days. They, they were bad old days. And we had all kinds of things we were stressed out about and relationship issues and people that hated us in school. And like we forget. Um, it is true, the older you get, you do face perhaps more um, uh, impacting type issues that can really be serious. And I think the older you get, the impact might be even greater. But Solomon seems to be feeling, feeling that. He's like, man, I'm just old. And so, you know, young people, enjoy it while you can because tough days are coming. And he even kind of makes the point. He says, I don't even have pleasure in days anymore. I dread every day that's coming. And that, again, is a life disconnected from God. And that's the sad truth of people. If you're disconnected from God, old age is a depressing venture. But if you're connected to God, old age, well, there's a place the Lord uses the older person and, and, and the gray-haired man or woman is, is given wisdom and, and able to teach and instruct younger people. And we shouldn't let our old age stop us from doing what God's called us to do. Um, but, but at the same time, to encourage the younger people. There's a balance in the Bible with all that said. So he says, man, uh, I'd rather, you know, not have days come. I, I get, there's no pleasure in days. Verse 2. He says, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after rain. Solomon's trying to, you know, motivate, um, you know, people to be able to live responsibly. While you're still alive, is what he's saying in verse 2. While you still have breath in your lungs. He says, now in the day, verse 3, when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Now, now, here Solomon's going to wax poetic, and it takes a little bit of work to figure out what in the world he's talking about. Um, he's going to talk about stuff, and at first you'll think, what is he talking about? But he's talking about your body, the human body. And, and what is he talking about? Everything's in sort of um, pictures, and wor- picture, word pictures. And so I'll, I'll share with you kind of what I believe and what some, you know, uh, scholars have suggested, but... Maybe you need to check your imagination and say, wonder if Solomon meant this or that or the other. 
But you older people will recognize some of these things. Maybe your younger people won't see it. What do you mean, Brett? Well, let's read verse 3. In the day when the keepers of thy house shall tremble, um, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out the windows be darkened. Well, Brett, what's he talking about? He says there's a house. There's keepers of the house, and there's strong men that are bowing themselves and grinders that are ceasing because they're few. What in the world? Well, follow with me, but the keepers of the house, some would argue that's arms and hands. They're the things that you use, the implements of your body that you use to protect yourself. The keeper of the house, where you would wield a sword or throw a spear or hold a shield. The keepers of the house, your arms and your hands. Um, And it says, and the strong men shall bow themselves. Some think it's your shoulders. Start to hunch over. The, the older you get. The grinders, what is that? The lack thereof, of teeth. Your grinders cease because they're few. Man, you can't even chew anymore because you're false teeth. Um, uh, sp- speaking of that, I was, I, was, I was remembering a list that uh, Chuck Swindoll gave, and I, I saved it years ago, but I wanted to share with you on this. How do you know you're getting old? Everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. How do you know you're getting older? You feel like the night before and you haven't been anywhere. You sit in a rocking chair and you can't get it going. Your knees buckle, but your belt won't. (laughs) Your fortune teller offers to read your face. The little gray-haired lady you help across the street is your wife. (laughs) You sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. You wake up in the morning and your waterbed has sprung a leak and then you realize you don't have a waterbed. (laughs) When you watch a pretty girl go by, your pacemaker makes the garage door go up. When you know all the answers and no one asks you the questions. When you decide to procrastinate, but you never get around to it. That's how you know you're getting older. I, I thought that was kind of funny. But, but all that to say, Swindoll was, was making light of something that Solomon's actually seriously talking about. You're losing of your teeth and your, your body parts aren't working anymore. That's what he's talking about. The grinders be, be fused so they don't work. Your shoulders are hunching over. And, um, and he, he also uh, um, says there, uh, the, verse 4, he says... Um, the door, well, the windows, by the way, in verse 3, are your eyesight, perhaps. Uh, and then verse 4, the doors shall be shut in the street. Probably your mouth and what you speak. Nobody cares what you have to say. When the sound of the grinding is low, he and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, unable to sleep. When the bird starts chirping, you wake up early in the morning. And it says, and the daughters of music shall be brought low. Probably hearing loss is what he's talking about there. Verse 5, also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fears shall be in the way. Um, What's that? You start to be afraid of things you used to not be afraid of. Have you ever noticed the older you get, like there's things that you're afraid of that you weren't? Um, Remember when you were a younger person, and maybe you're still in that youthful age and stuff, but I remember I was talking to an older guy uh, a few years ago, and and, I and uh, he, he said, you know, Brett, he said, have you ever noticed how much old people drive really slow? And I'm like, yeah, what's the deal with that? And he said, well, it's because, um, and I think he was saying this experientially. He's like, you know, he says, I just can't see very good anymore. So it's probably good they're making bicyclists have lights that flash really bright and stuff. I just can't see them anymore. And, <laughs> and he said, it's, if, if you only knew how dangerous it is for me to be on the road. I was like, wow, boy, that makes me nervous. Um, but it's true, you know, the older you get, you used to be, a, you know, uh, have a lead foot and you drive here and there fast, but the, the, you get older and your reaction time slows. And, and that's kind of what Solomon's acknowledging. He's just saying, man, you just aren't the same as when you were, you were young. And you're afraid of stuff. You're, you're afraid of being high. Like um, your balance starts to go and, and you, you can fall over or fall off of things that you used to climb on. That's why all the old people, now grandson, get off that thing. You're going to fall down and break your neck. Why are they saying that? Because that's what happened to you if you did it. But grandson, he's still got agility and he can still do that stuff. It's, it's a funny thing. Uh, that's what he's comparing. And he says, your fears shall be in the way, verse 5. And then he says, the almond tree shall flourish. 
and the grasshopper shall be a burden. There's questions, what's the almond tree flourishing? Um, Scholars suggest that the almond tree has white blossoms and it's talking about your gray hair starts to flourish like blossoms on an almond tree. Does your head look like an almond tree? Mine does, as it turns out. Uh, White hair is what it's probably talking about. Almond tree shall flourish and the grasshopper, well, it'll be a burden. Little things will bother you is the idea there. And desire shall fail because man goeth to his long home and the mourners go about the streets. That's talking about death. You see, this is a very poetic way of talking about old age and what it looks like. And Solomon sounds so depressed about old age. But one of the things that um, I love about the Word of God is, uh, unlike our culture and unlike Solomon, and because our culture is disconnected from God largely, we don't celebrate old age anymore in our culture. Um, we try to hide old age. We get surgery and Botox to sort of conceal old age. And it's amazing, you know, some of these Hollywood people can't even close their mouth anymore because they're Botox. And it's just so sad. Like, does that look good? Not really. Um, but they think somehow they're erasing old age. Um, but the Bible talks about celebrating the gray-haired person. And um, letting them be able to use their wisdom and teach the younger. And man, the healthy culture uh, connected to God will value old age and even celebrate old age. The reason I think our culture freaks out about old age is because we're afraid of death. Culture is afraid of death. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, that the, the believer, precious in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. If you know you're headed to heaven, old age, the, every wrinkle you get should be a reminder that you're headed for heaven and you have something to look forward to. And we should cheer each other up in the area of old age. Solomon, apart from God, all he can think about is aches and pains and death. And that's really what he's talking about. Verse 6, Or ere the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. What in the world is he talking about there? I have no idea. I mean, again, I've I've done my homework on this and some suggest it's your spinal column and your, your, you know, your dome is, you know, the bowl is your head and, you know, the the pitcher be broken at the fountain. Uh, You wet your pants as it only, you know, depends and all that stuff. Like, like it's, it's amazing all the stuff that people have come up with what this stuff means. But uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But you can, I'll leave verse 6 for you to uh, do deeper study and research on if you're really interested. Uh, Verse 7, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So at least he's acknowledging that your body is, you know, going to the dust, but your spirit goes to God who gave you life. Um, that's, That's at least part of the truth that he's understanding. Verse 8, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher is Solomon. We know that from the very first uh, part of this book, verse 1 of chapter 1, if you recall. Ecclesiastes means the preacher. So he's talking about himself. And the idea here in this verse, you know, eight and nine, he said, everything's vanity. And he says, you know, he said the preacher was wise, but there's sort of a hint here that he was wise, but he was sort of unwise. He was wise, but he didn't use his wisdom. And what a, what a funny thing to think about when you really think about Solomon and what he did. Here's a guy who, when he had opportunity, asked the Lord for wisdom. And the Lord gave him wisdom second to none. And then you watch Solomon's life and he spent so much of his life living in total folly and foolishness. And you think, how can that be? And the answer is is a bit spooky. You can have wisdom, but the question is whether or not you use that wisdom. Solomon did not use his wisdom. But what he's saying here is he still, even though he didn't always use his wisdom, he still wrote down wisdom But I don't think he's talking about the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. I think he's talking about the wisdom from Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. That's what he says here. He says, I, the preacher, have, you know, um, basically verse verse 9, he says, you know, taught the people knowledge. 
and gave, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. And that could be the book of Proverbs. The difference between the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Proverbs is just wisdom from God written through the pen of man. The book of Ecclesiastes is still inspired by God, but it's through the hand of a man who lived a, a life of sinfulness and debauchery and explained all that. And, um, and, and he's saying, man, it's not, he's, he's saying, what, what are we going to do about that? He's going to give us the conclusion of the whole matter here in a second, but that's what he's saying. Um, question. If you're a person who is going to try to teach people good things, do you have to have all those good things down yourself? Now, now this is a tricky question because, um, you know, you don't want some hypocrite teaching you, right? Somebody is saying, hey, you know, uh, um, you should never lie, but you know that person's a total liar and they lie all the time. You're, like, You're a hypocrite. I don't want to listen to you. But, th- but that's different. I'm talking about the person who's preaching or like Solomon here, he's teaching something about wisdom and foolishness, but he spent most of his life living as a fool. Should we listen to him? And the answer, I believe, is yes. And here's the thing I want to tell you. Some of you feel like, well, I can't disciple someone like you were talking about earlier, Pastor Brett. I can't be a Sunday school teacher or I can't, you know, start a Bible study at work or because I still wrestle with sin, man. I, I still struggle with stuff. And there's people that actually will dismiss the, the calling on their life because they, they don't have all their sins, you know, uh, you know figured out. But the question is, if that were the rule, if you could teach the Bible, you had to have your life totally together, question, who would be the Bible teachers in the world? Yeah, only Jesus. Jesus would be the only one who could teach. The rest of us, toast. And I'm so thankful because, you know, once in a while I'll hear these guys that say, man, you know, Brett, do you sin? Yes. Then why are you the pastor? Wow. Well, let's talk about Paul the apostle. Paul was a great dude. And Paul, man, he said, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. That's called sin, by the way. Um, Paul said, I, Paul, am, not was, he says, I am the chiefest of sinners. Paul, even in his old age, knew that he had his own flaws and failures and shortcomings. But here's the thing that I love about Paul, is he never claimed to be perfect. If a pastor or you as a teacher or someone who's discipling someone, you present yourself as being perfect, you're setting yourself up for a big fall. But if you let people know, man, we're learning, we're still growing, we, the Lord's still teaching us stuff. And, but, but here's the thing you need to remember, and tuck this away. Truth is truth, so tell the truth. Just because you don't have it all down doesn't mean you can't be the one to share certain truths. And frankly, sometimes the person who's actually failed in those areas might just be the best voice. Say, man, don't do what I've done. Don't go down the same path that I've gone down. And truth is truth, so tell the truth. Don't be afraid to speak truth, even though you're not perfect. Uh, I, I found that people will use that as an excuse as to why they can't minister because they feel like they still sin. And again, that's like the couple says, we'll get married when our finances are in order. Finances will never be in order. Uh, that's a waste of time. Uh, you know, sometimes you've got to just do things in faith. Same thing with teaching. That's kind of what Solomon's saying here in verse 9. So he says, verse 10, the preacher sought to find out acceptable words and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. That's kind of what he's saying here. Um, you know, to, to uh, sort of make sense of things of life is Solomon's endeavor. And he's using the careful words to make it clear. Boy, I sure appreciate people who are able to take the um, heavy truths of doctrine and bring the hay down from the loft. Old J. Vernon McGee was like that. You know, um, if you listen to him on the radio, and he was the, you know, the through the Bible guy. It's still on. He's been in heaven for 20 or 30 years, but he's still going strong on the radio. Dearly beloved, you know, he's, he's like, he's got that thick accent from the South, and, uh, but he just teaches through the Bible. And, um, but I love it because, um, man, that guy, he, he, he was a theologian. It's interesting because when I heard him as a kid, I remember hearing Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And I thought, who is this weirdo, this hick? And I shut him down. Like, I turned off the radio and said, I don't want to learn the Bible from that guy. And I literally, like a 16, 17-year-old, I said, what a weirdo. 
A few years later, I was up in a bookstore uh, and I found these old commentaries. Um, and it was called Through the Bible Commentaries by Dr. J. Vernon. Oh, a doctor. Hmm. And so I, I bought these, you know, they were like a dollar a commentary. So I was like, man, I'm, I can afford that. And I bought the whole volume of, of Through the Bible uh, with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Didn't know it was the same dude. But as I was reading through those books, uh, and I thought, man, this guy's a scholar. And he brings the hay down from the loft. That's even what he'd say. I bring the hay down from the loft, dearly beloved. And, um, and uh, but man, I fell in love with his, uh, you know, exposition and teaching of the word. And, and, and a lot of the things I learned, a lot of stuff from him uh, over the years. And then one day I was listening to the radio. Oh, there's that old creepy Southern dude. Wait a minute, Dr. J. Same guy. <laughs> you know what's funny about that is shortly after that, and I realized who he was, man, not only did I like listening to him, but I f- almost fell in love with kind of that, you know, crickety old voice and, and that, that southern drawl. Like it became one of my favorites. There's something homey about the, the guy now. And he's, he's, he's said some classic stuff over the years. It's, it's so funny. I remember back in the 70s, he was asked, you know, should women in the church wear makeup? A lot of churches were debating that. That was the big issues of the day. And his answer, if the barn needs painting, paint it. (laughs) You got to love that guy. Um, (laughs) Bringing the hay down from the loft. But he was a preacher who sought to find words to help us understand difficult theological themes. And that's what Solomon's saying. By the way, I love what Paul the Apostle said. Paul was a brainiac. He was very cerebral. He was sort of the doctor's doctor of, of theology, schooled by a dude named Gamaliel. And um, that was like the top tier. It'd be like, you know, the, you know, studying at some of the most prestigious of universities and all that. And, and Paul had those degrees. But I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, or of wisdom declaring unto you the testament of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I got to be careful here, but I wonder how many pastors feel the pressure to speak with excellency of speech. You know, to, to have some really fanciful way of communicating, you know, certain themes and, and trying to come off as sort of cerebral and esoteric. And, um, and, pe- and people love that stuff. Uh, you know, people will sit around and go, oh, that guy's so smart. And, and I wonder, you know, if... if um, it's really perhaps not as hard as one might think to sound cerebral and come up with fancy stuff, but to, to speak simply and, and words are not enticing men. Now, trying to manipulate is the idea people to uh, believe and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of people that see right through that stuff and, and it's meaningless to them. I love that Paul chose to say, I've determined to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it didn't come with excellency of speech or enticing words of men's wisdom. Um, Man, that's something that you should be freed up by. That you don't have to be some kind of brainiac scholar before you can disciple or share or teach or those kinds of things. Take all that pressure off, come with simplicity. And if you can just speak the gospel, man, you're, you're ready to roll. If you can preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, man, you qualify. I love that. Well, back to Ecclesiastes, Solomon is saying, man, I've sought to find acceptable words. Uh, verse 11, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the master, masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Goads, um, this uh, in the New Testament is interpreted there in the book of Acts chapter 9. Remember when Paul got knocked off his high horse by, by the Lord himself. And, um, and the Lord said to Paul, why do you always, you know, kick against the pricks? Huh? Did what? And people read that and think, what's that all about? Well, that's the same word. The word pricks there is the goads. And it was actually sharp sticks or even metal sometimes. They would, 
blacksmith metal sort of spikes where they would use it for the livestock when they would sort of kick against the, the master or even the plow. Um, history tells us they would put these little sticks that would stick out so that when the, the oxen would try to kick against the plow, he would kick, but it would hit these sort of sharp sticks and it wouldn't feel so good. So he'd stop kicking because it didn't feel good. And that's what, that's what Paul was doing. He was kicking against the pricks, uh, going against the Lord, injuring himself in the process. Why are you hurting yourself? Is basically what was being said. Well, that's the same word here. Uh, the words of the wise are as goads, sharp sticks, as nails fastened by the masters of the assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And by the way, I think the one shepherd is Jesus. That's the one that said that to Paul, Jesus himself. You know, um, Paul, why do you, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are thou, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Um, why do you always kick against the pricks? Um, and Solomon's kind of talking in that same kind of language by there's one shepherd and we don't want to kick against that, that leader. And that's Jesus if you're connected to God. And verse 12, further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Solomon was one of the more learned guys that ever lived. He was a scientist, a botanist. He was a entomologist into bugs. Um, He was a biologist. He was into all kinds of studies. And here he's saying, man, it's just weariness. All the studying and all the the book studying that I've done, it's a waste of time under the sun, apart from the Lord. Question, are there other verses in the Bible that say that study is valuable? Yeah. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, so don't, don't say that the Bible contradicts itself. This is a guy who's saying, man, study wearies the soul. All this stuff that I've talked about, it's just making me tired thinking about it. And then now he's going to finish the whole book. And, and it's, it kind of cracks me up that he wastes the last two verses to finish it up and say, okay, here's the deal. And this is where he's completely correct. And it sort of... Like I said on Sunday, I wish he would have just given, him, given us chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, and called it a book. The smallest book in the Bible. Vanity, vanity, everything's a vanity, but, verse 13 of our text here, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so here he concludes, and if you miss Sunday's teaching, if you want to kind of get the completion of the book of Ecclesiastes, you really need to listen to that study because it's the conclusion of the whole matter. And we broke that down, three main components of the conclusion of the whole matter. Um, And that is fear God, number one, keep his commandments, number two, for God is going to judge ultimately. Question. Will everyone stand before God in judgment? Yes. Will they stand before God in judgment all at the same place? No. And if you're not a believer, what's the name of the place you're going to go to be judged of God? Great white throne judgment. If you're a believer and you're, you die and you stand before God in judgment, what's the name of that place? The Bema seat judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. Man, that's important stuff. We covered on Sunday that a lot of people are confused by but I'm glad you guys are getting it because that's, that's huge. And people need to know, if you're going to stand before God, whether you're saved or not saved, and by the way, the one where you're saved standing before God, it's not about salvation and whether you get to go to heaven. It's about the works that you've done here on this earth. And we looked at that in depth on Sunday. And there you have it, the book of Ecclesiastes. Amen. Yes, that's great. We finished the book. <laughs> Don't bring your kids next week. Song of Solomon, rated R, maybe worse. Uh, uh, we'll be in that, uh, going through that scripture, and that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> pray for me, y'all, as we go through that. <laughs> Lord, we are thankful your word is living and powerful. We're thankful that we get to go through the Bible. Um, Lord, and I pray that as we often pray, Lord, that your word would go through us, that we wouldn't just have it go in one ear and out the other, but that it would do its effect that your word would build faith, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, Solomon's book here of Ecclesiastes really does shine light on 
the life that's disconnected from you. And it's a life of misery. It's a life, Lord, we see here of great expectations, but only disappointment. Life apart from you, Lord, we try to live it and we try to make ourselves happy, but it ends up in sadness and sorrow. And we're so glad, Lord, that we can connect ourselves to you, for you make all things beautiful in your time. You're the one who blesses even the bummers, and you turn evil things in our lives around for good. You're the one who, Lord, is working all things together for good for those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, I'm so thankful that um, we have this book here in the Bible to remind us of the futility of stuff and trying to be happy with material goods and pleasure and power and substance, all that stuff. Lord, we, we agree that stuff is only fleeting and it's unstable at best. So give us right thinking, Lord. I pray you'd bless this congregation tonight as we've wrapped up this book. May it be something that sticks in our hearts and our memories for years to come and that it bring forth good fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. To take advantage of our media ministry, we encourage you to visit us anytime at athecreek.com, where we have all of Pastor Brett's Bible studies available as a free download.